thanks everybody for coming out. Uh, I know it's probably been a long day for everybody. Uh, and uh, hopefully this will be a useful hour for you before you go off and play at replay. Um, my name is Bob Kinney. Uh, I'm a developer with uh, the API Gateway team. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a little bit about how to operate your production API um, in a serverless uh, in a serverless environment. Um, so I'll first on the top just do a really brief walkthrough through API Gateway and Lambda. I'm sure everybody in here already has seen this multiple times, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Then we'll jump into monitoring your API using CloudWatch uh, metrics, alarms, and logs. Then we'll talk a little bit about how you can protect your API with API Gateway's built-in throttling authorization, as well as the usage plan features that we launched earlier this year. And then finally, we'll talk a little bit about some of the ways that you can manage your API deployments uh, and the API lifecycle management. So API Gateway, it's a product uh, I happen to work on. Um, so the, the value proposition here is, is that you can create a unified REST API um, for legacy uh, systems as well as um, microservices that you might be running with either ECS or Lambda. Uh, we have built-in DDoS protection uh, that, uh, and as well as throttling for your backend. So that means that if you have a legacy system that you want to expose to customers, you can put it behind API Gateway and we can offer some protection for you there. Um, additionally, we can do authorization and uh, authentication uh, for those APIs, as well as throttle, meter, and uh, monetize your APIs uh, through the usage plans feature. So, you know, we have here uh, sort of our architecture. So we have mobile clients, websites, or backend services um, that are connect uh, through the internet to the uh, CloudFront distribution that's created for every single one of uh, API Gateway's APIs. Then that comes into API Gateway. Uh, we have the ability to uh, ca serve cached results uh, via dedicated caching uh, inside of the service, as well as emit metrics and logging from the service. Then downstream, you can then connect to a Lambda function for a true serverless architecture, or you can uh, integrate with an Elastic Beanstalk, uh, dedicated EC2 instances, or any other uh, legacy product that you have that's a public API. Additionally, you can also integrate with any public AWS service, such as S3 or Dynamo, directly. So then we also have Lambda, uh, which is a great service that's uh, um, obviously a lot of people here are familiar with. Um, it's uh, no infrastructure to manage, so it's a truly serverless um, offering where basically you write your code, you deploy it, uh, and it runs uh, based on events. Um, and one of the events that you can do is API Gateway invocations. Um, it's great and uh, cost-effective, and you can bring your own code uh, to run inside the container. Okay, so now what I'd like to do is talk to you a little bit about my friend Doug. Um, Doug is a, a typical Seattleite. He likes his coffee. Doug also happens to be a software developer and writes applications. Uh, and he, in his spare time, built this um, app he called Tamper, uh, which is a way for him and his friends to basically rate the various coffee shops and their blends. So Doug built Tamper um, using uh, Tamper backend using basically serverless components using API Gateway, Lambda, and DynamoDB. <clears throat> so the first reviews that Doug got on Tamper weren't great. So you can see some selections here. So the problem is, is that he's having some problems with errors but doesn't necessarily know um, you know, where they're coming from. So the first way that we're gonna take a look at solving this problem is taking a look at 
uh, CloudWatch metrics integration in API Gateway. So by default, API Gateway offers a set of default metrics. And you can see them listed here. So they include things like the overall count of the API calls, as well as the number of 4xx and 5xx error codes that your API is generating, as well as two different latency metrics, one which is the latency metric of the overall call. So that's how long API Gateway took from the time it was received until the time the request was sent out, as well as the integration latency, which is the time that it took for API Gateway to call your backend integration and get a response from the integration. Additionally, if you're using the cache uh, feature, we also have cache hit and cache miscounts. So on top of the basic, um, <clears throat> basic metrics for the overall API, you can also get detailed level metrics. And these detailed level metrics can be uh, enabled on a per method basis. So you can get the same set of metrics for each one of your methods. Uh, just to reiterate, the default metrics are included for free. You get them by default anytime you actually build an API uh, using API Gateway. And they're broken down by the API stage. If you opt in to using detailed metrics, uh, standard CloudWatch pricing does apply there. So every one of your metrics that's um, tracked for, uh, for your methods will be billed as a custom um, CloudWatch metric. So once you have your metrics, you can obviously integrate alarms uh, with those. Uh, so then uh, CloudWatch has uh, uh, obviously an alarm system that, allowed, that you can tie to any, uh, any metric that's being generated by the system. Uh, the alarm notifications can then be sent to an SNS topic. And that SNS topic can then have subscriptions to email, SMS, um, or uh, other, uh, <laughs> excuse me, or even to a Lambda function if you wanted to double down on your serverless architecture. Um, I'm sure probably a lot of you have already seen all of this, but uh, I do want to highlight a couple of new things uh, in this area that we actually just launched right before reInvent, um, which is that now the error and cache metrics are actually um, uh, support averages. Uh, so previously, you could only see a sum of your, uh, of your errors, uh, your 4xx or 5xx errors. Now you can get an average. Uh, so that means that you can alarm on the rate of your failures, not just the raw count. <coughs> so now what I'd like to do is switch over and do a short demo using the uh, detail metrics and alarming. Which button was it that was supposed to go? Oh, sorry, thank you. Okay, sorry for that short malfunction. Okay, so now what I have here is a very simple, um, <clears throat> excuse me, very simple uh, REST API uh, built inside of API Gateway. Uh, and what I'm going to do is actually modify um, the settings for one of my methods so that I can start recording detailed metrics. So I'm actually going to uh, be calling this Gatling random method. I'm going to override the settings for this specific method and enable, um, excuse me, enable detailed CloudWatch metrics. And then I'm going to go ahead and save those changes. That does not require redeployment, um, but I'll just wait a little while so that those uh, settings can propagate. And then I'll bring up um, our Gatling run here, which is basically going to run um, uh, 
invocations of that specific uh, REST URL um, from basically 10 different users and just repeat that over and over again. Oops, don't want Firefox. Um, so then I'll just also uh, highlight here real quickly our function, uh, which is the reInvent errors function, um, which basically generates a random amount of errors. I'm gonna set this back to small levels and go ahead and start our Gatling run. So we'll start to see here is a summary of the number of errors and OKs that we're getting um, from our API. You can already see that we're already getting, we already got 1,500 um, from, from our API uh, for a small number of requests. So now if I switch over to the CloudWatch console and go to our brand new metrics dashboard and go to API Gateway, I'll first go ahead and look at the, um, the overall um, API level metrics because our detail metrics haven't quite shown up in, um, in the CloudWatch dashboard. Um, so you can see here that I'm already starting to get uh, some amount of data that's from probably from a previous test I was doing. Um, and we can see um, on tighter periods, eventually we'll start to see um, a number of errors. Okay, here we go. So now we saw the last data point and we're getting a small percentage of errors. Um, so from here I can, um, let's go ahead and see if we've got our detailed metrics coming up yet. All right, so our by method metrics are here. So let's take a look at those five XXs. That should basically be the same. We'll go ahead and move this guy. Okay. So now from here, I can see my uh, my detailed metrics for uh, for this particular method. I can see that I'm getting a small number of errors. From, from this dashboard, I can quickly create a new alarm. And then I'm gonna go ahead and set this to fire at 10% or 0.1 on an average um, for any given period. I'm gonna set it to send to a special distribution list and go ahead and create that alarm. Now I'll go back to Lambda and quickly change the parameters so that it'll actually fire. So we should now see about a 20% error rate. If I switch back to my Gatling console, I should immediately start to see a larger number of errors. And you can see from that, um, the last run we got 20 to 50 and we're getting more and more errors coming up. And then if we once again switch back to the CloudWatch console, we should eventually start seeing um, a higher percentage of errors. 
perils of live demos. Um, okay, so we should eventually start seeing an increase in the metrics, um, and so that will eventually cause our CloudWatch alarm to fire, which should generate an email to my account to let me know that I am, in fact, seeing a larger number of errors uh, for this particular method. And so we can already see here that we've got a data point above, so this, this alarm should switch its state shortly. Any minute now. Okay, so our last data point here is still not quite high enough. Okay, well, looks like, oh, here we go. All right, so we did get our email, even though the dashboard didn't want to quite um, show us to it. So now we've got a system for finding out when these errors are occurring and in what method they are occurring in by using our detailed metrics. So our friend Doug now has set up his alarms and metrics, and he knows that um, he knows when these errors are occurring and uh, with what method they're occurring, but he doesn't know why they're occurring. Um, and that's where CloudWatch Logs comes into play. So CloudWatch Logs uh, is integrated actually in both services, both API Gateway and Lambda. Um, the API gateway integration, uh, we basically have two levels of logging, error and info. We also support full uh, method and request response logging as well. You can set that globally on an API stage. And just as with the API or the detailed level metrics, you can also uh, opt to do this only for specific methods. Uh, Lambda logging. Um, you actually can provide your own logging statements. Uh, so inside of your code, you log, uh, you log whatever it is that you're interested in, and it will end up in your log streams for your Lambda functions. Uh, additionally, uh, so CloudWatch Logs uh, has always kind of supported um, uh, this idea of being able to uh, create search filters and generate metrics from your logs. And then you can also then um, set up alarms on those, uh, on those filtered metrics and pivot back to the actual log data that generated the, um, that generated the spike in the data that you were looking at. Uh, so anybody who's used CloudWatch Logs and Lambda and API Gateway is probably very familiar with these screens. There's just a lot of log streams. Um, it says due to uh, the way that CloudWatch Logs is implemented in both of the services, um, and it's an unfortunate side effect. Um, so one of our developers on the API Gateway team um, took it upon himself to write uh, this nice little tool um, that is really great for doing uh, streaming of your logs um, for debugging purposes. So the real nice benefit here is, is that you can actually see both your API Gateway logs and your Lambda logs in the same screen. So what I'd like to do now is actually demonstrate um, the use of that tool.
So I already have it installed on my um, on my laptop, um, but it's just a uh, Python function that's available via pip. Um, so you can just do a pip install of API logs, and you can um, get started using uh, using this tool. So I'm actually going to use it in the watch mode, which allows me to basically stream the contents of uh, my API's logs uh, as they come in. Um, so it will watch all of the log streams to look for new data, and then we'll display it on the screen with um, some hit syntax highlighting uh, to help me uh, look at the logs while they're coming in. So I'm going to go ahead and start that up. I'm not going to see any output because I'm not actually sending any requests to my API. Well, okay, so we're going to get some old state. Yeah, okay. Um, so we, we got some older data from, from some of the previous runs. Um, I'm going to let this just quiesce just a little bit before I move on. Um, uh, so this, the, the tool also offers um, the ability to search backwards uh, through logs, um, and it has uh, basic syntax highlighting, as I mentioned, as well as uh, basic search. Okay, so it looks like we are quiesced now. Um, so now I'm going to switch over uh, to another tool. Really? Um, I'm going to switch over to another tool at, uh, called Postman, which allows me to kind of do a simple uh, request response with my API. Um, and I'm going to invoke this function, um, which I happen to know is going to generate a 500. Um, and what I'm going to hope to see now in my logs, again, if I was, didn't stop my stuff fast enough. Okay. Okay, here we go. So here's our, um, I can pause this long enough to get the value. Um, okay, so I can see here, uh, I know that's actually not the method I was looking for. I'm sorry, folks. Again, perils of live demos. So what I was expecting to see here is, is that uh, if I had not um, uh, kept my previous run running and I was seeing some old data, is, is that I would see the logs from the output of my REST API call. And that REST API call would actually indicate to me that my permissions error, the permissions on the Lambda function that I'm calling are incorrect for API Gateway to actually call it. And that is why I'm getting a 500 on the server side. So what I'm going to do now is open up another tab in my console terminal app, run a quick API call to restore those permissions. And then I'm going to go back to Postman, rerun that request. And now I can see that I'm getting a positive 200 response with the expected payload in return. Um, so as you can see, the tool uh, works uh, works better when there's a smaller amount of data. Um, so not necessarily a great tool for um, uh, um, for finding a specific log message in a live API. But while you're doing testing, again, um, really uh, really useful for being able to. Um, excuse me, for being able to uh, debug errors that are happening in a test API.
Okay, so let's check back in with Doug. Um, Doug had turned on logging, and he was able to figure out that um, the errors that he was seeing in his API were actually due to a, a bug in one of the mobile app versions that he had shipped um, that was sending a spurious number of requests to a specific API. Um, so that was causing uh, basically the, <clears throat> excuse me, the back end, his DynamoDB table, to get over, um, to get hit too often, causing him to exceed his provision throughput capacity, causing some 500s for customers who are calling his API. So Doug needs a now needs a way to basically be able to limit the traffic coming from that method or from that device um, to, to basically be able to uh, better serve the rest of his customers. So that's where we'll move on to the first step of protecting your API via throttling. So API Gateway actually offers three different levels of throttling. Um, the first is uh, API key level throttling via the usage plan feature. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, the method level throttling, uh, so that's where you can actually define how, uh, how much a, any given method can be called inside of your API. You can also set a stage level method default throttling level um, and then override that uh, on a per method basis like we did with the logging and the metrics before. And then finally, there is an account level throttling. Um, and this one, uh, you don't have any control over, um, but you can request increased limits uh, as, your, as your API grows. As with most AWS services, API Gateway actually implements all throttling via the token bucket algorithm. Um, this basically means that there's two values that you're interested in, basically the burst level and the, the constant rate. Um, so the burst level is the size of the bucket, so that's how many tokens can actually be in a given bucket, and the rate is, which, uh, is uh, how fast it refills. So again, probably most, most of you who have used API Gateway are already familiar with the fact that we do throttling, um, but one, a couple things that I do want to highlight um, that are recent changes in the way we handle throttling. Um, so the first one is, is that we've uh, reordered the throttling order. Uh, so we actually do it by now the most specific level, so that's API key, then method, then account. So that means that you can actually set levels on your API to protect yourself from being over, um, so protect your API from uh, exceeding the account level limits. Secondly, all throttled methods, regardless of why they were throttled, will no longer be built. So now I'd like to do a quick demo of using throttling at a method level. So I'm actually gonna be running another Gatling simulation, um, and it's basically going to hit a different path in my API called Gatling throttling. Very descriptive for what we're doing. And what I'm going to do is go to my API stage settings. Actually, I'm gonna start the Gatling run first. And because I haven't set any default throttling limits on this, this method, it can be called as fast as, as possible. Um, this means that it could potentially use all the way up to my account level limits much as the case was with Doug. So now what I'll do, now that I have this running, is go back to my stage level settings, 
for the Gatling throttle method. Again, override the method, override the <coughs> stage level settings and enable a throttling level. Now I'm just going to go ahead and throttle this way, way down to one RPS. And again, this does not, like these stage level settings don't require deployment, um, but they do take a little bit of time to apply. And what I should start to see, hopefully, uh, in the next refresh of statistics is, is that we're now starting to see some 429 responses, which means that our throttling is working. And we can see that the number of OKs is going up much slower than the number of KOs, or 429s. So this is a really easy way to kind of uh, to give you control over um, which uh, methods are using up all of your uh, all of your account level throughput. So we'll go back to Doug. Um, so Doug, uh, now that he knows that the the particular method that was being uh, hit too often, um, he go ahead and set method level throttling on that method. He's been able to basically ship a new update to the API to put customers on uh, a different uh, REST resource um, so that they can uh, call that method uh, at the levels that they need to, and customers who are using the old buggy version will get some 429 response errors, but the rest of the app should stay, um, should stay active. So now, now that he's fixed some of the problems with his app and, and the, uh, the reviews are starting to come back more positive, um, some of the local coffee shops are starting to notice that, uh, um, they're using, that their customers are using Tamper to check in. And so they contact Doug because uh, they're interested in um, selling, uh, basically, promotions through the application uh, to build brand loyalty. So Doug needs a way to be basically be able to give these customers privileged accounts that can modify resources inside of the inside of the Tamper app um, and uh, sell uh, resources, but also protect the rest of the service. So this is where we'll start talking about authorization and authentication in API Gateway. So today there are three main methods for doing authentication and authorization um, inside of API Gateway. The first is AWS IAM, um, and un, uh, despite its name, it does not require IAM users. It can also um, use roles or cognito temporary credentials via STS or any of those other things. Um, so that supports basically authentication and authorization via base, uh, basic IAM policy and uses signature version 4 as any other AWS service would. We also have a custom authorizer, which basically allows you to write a Lambda function to separate out your authorization and authentication mechanisms from your business logic. And that, uh, again, allows you to, to authenticate and authorize your API methods. Um, what you actually return back from your authorizer is an IAM policy style document um, that actually defines the permissions that, that that specific user has inside of your API. Then finally, we have our Amazon Cognito authorizer, which integrates with the Cognito Your User Pools product. Um, it currently only supports authentication, um, so that means that if you want to allow specific, uh, you want all of your users to have access to your API, you can do that with this, and then you can use the information that's fed into your API via the context 
to determine um, what permissions that user should have inside of your application. Um, so both the IAM and the Amazon Cognito Authorizer have no additional costs whatsoever um, other than the use of those services. So for IAM, obviously, that's free. For Cognito, your user pools, you pay for your monthly active users. <clears throat> for the custom authorizer, you pay only for the authorizer invocations that you make, um, but we do offer a free cache. Um, so you can cache the results of the authorizer results, and you can all offload some of your costs that way. Again, these are probably some features that a lot of uh, a lot of you are already familiar with, but I do want to highlight a couple of new features that we launched, uh, or a couple of uh, modifications we launched um, to these prior to reInvent. Uh, the first is is that custom authorizers. Um, previously, you could only return the policy document, which described uh, the resources that the customer had access to, as well as what we called a principal ID. Um, now you can pass back a a context dictionary. Um, so a JSON document inside of uh, that can be passed into um, uh, into the API gateway uh, function and then passed on to your Lambda or to your backend, depending on uh, your use case. So that offers some additional flexibility there. Uh, and then finally, uh, as we did with uh, with the throttling, um, now no longer uh, uh, do we charge for unauthorized requests. So if you set up authorization on your API. Um, you can be rest assured that, that uh, spurious traffic that's not passing your authorization checks uh, will not be charged. All right, so now I'd like to demo a couple of the authorization mechanisms. Um, so the first one I'm going to do is uh, the I am authenticated request. Um, so Switch on AWS signature, and I'll send this request. And so what I want to highlight here is, um, so this, this, the Lambda function I'm using here is literally just uh, passing back whatever was passed in, and I'm using the API Gateway's Lambda proxy feature, which basically passes all of the request metadata in from API Gateway to Lambda. So what I'm getting back is basically um, the full context of, uh, of the request that's being um, sent to API Gateway. Um, so a couple things to highlight here. Uh, inside of this identity block, um, you can see here that we have uh, additional information uh, about uh, the IAM user that I'm using here. So I can see an account ID, which is actually going to be mine, um, as well as a, uh, a principal ID in, um, as well as an access key. Uh, and then I can also see the actual IAM user because uh, I used a user in this case, but if it was a role, you would see the role information as well. Okay, so now I'll switch over to the custom authorizer, but first um, let me switch back to the uh, AWS console and just take you through the authorizer code really quickly. Um, so this authorizer is based on the existing blueprint that we have uh, inside, of, uh, inside of Lambda. Um, it is modified to use the, uh, the new, context, uh, new context values. The blueprint hasn't been updated for that quite yet. Um, but you can see down here at the bottom, um, basically, 
uh, it's really a really dumb check, but it's a, 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 a useful example. Um, if I pass in the value allow as a token, um, I will be allowed to call this method. If I call, pass in the super uh, value, I get to do uh, a, an additional um, amount of privileges. I'm additionally passing back some context about this user. Um, so the normal user is me. Um, the super user also happens to be me. That's my legal name. <laughs> um, so then if I go back over to Postman and I see that I have the allow method and I do send. If I go down to the authorizers uh, portion of the response body down here. So you can see here that we have the authorizer. Uh, I have my principal ID, which is the normal user. But additionally, all those context values get passed in as keys into this, into this map. So that is, those are all available to me inside of my Lambda function. Um, if I try to call a method that I am not allowed to call, I get an appropriate error message saying that I don't have access to this resource. But then if I change it, uh, if I change my headers to that super user, the super user is allowed to access this method. And again, if I scroll down to the authorizer, I can see that the principal ID has changed and now that I can see the context for that user instead. Um, <clears throat> So for the custom authorizers, you'll also note um, that none of the identity information um, down here is filled in. So this is specific to IAM identities. Um, the authorizers uh, will be filled in for both the custom authorizer and the cognito authorizer. Okay, so Doug set up um, his promotions uh, um, interface and used uh, custom authorizers to, to set it all up so that the users could access and, and modify and create promotions. And it's been a big hit. Um, now Doug has been uh, talking to some other services uh, that are, are interested in doing partnerships. So uh, there's an app that does uh, reviews for brunch locations. And so they're interested in using uh, partnering with Tamper to be able to offer um, the reviews of the, of the coffee at those brunch spots. So Doug wants a way so that he can um, expose his APIs to third parties uh, like this, um, this brunch app, um, but also be able to track and, and um, limit their access to call his API so that he can potentially monetize it later. So that's where we'll go jump into our last topic on protecting your API, which is usage plans. Um, so usage plans is a set of features that we launched um, previous, uh, earlier this year uh, in, I believe, April. Um, uh, that allows you to do um, controls both of throttling and uh, quota, so a periodic quota, um, by API key. Um, so API keys were available when we launched, um, but basically they were only available to kind of just um, do really basic uh, authorization checks, so whether or not you had a key or not. Um, with the launch of usage plans, you can now track how to see how often um, an API key is being used on a daily basis via our usage metrics, um, and as well as limit those calls with throttling and quota so that you could then build, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, usage reports and bill directly through um, to the customer. 
Um, I will note that the uh, the AWS SaaS marketplace actually uses this uh, this information, um, so that's actually how that integration works. Um, so if you wanted, if you're interested in reselling your API uh, through the SaaS marketplace, um, you would be using usage plans. So now I'll quickly demonstrate uh, the use of usage plans for throttling and quota. So I'm going to switch back to using Gatling again. Um, and so I've pre-created a number of keys uh, and an, an associated usage plan. And I'm just going to call this, um, this, this usage plans method, which is actually enabled for, um, for keys, um, with all of these keys in, uh, in parallel. So quickly, I'm just going to go back to the API Gateway Console and show you the usage plan. Um, so I actually have three different plans. Um, so uh, two of the key, or sorry, two of the keys are, are actually under this quota plan, but I have a, a high-level throttling limit, which allows for a thousand RPS um, for the key with no quota. I have a low, um, a low request, a low throttle rate with one RPS with no quota, and then our um, our quota uh, usage plan allows two RPS, but limits the request to 50 requests per day. So I'm going to go ahead and start up my Gatling run for this. So you can see here already that we've got um, key zero is our high-level key, so that's getting through, no problem, no KOs, everything's going through fine. Our key one is our low-level throttling, so there's uh, only about a request a second going through that key, um, and everything else is being sent to 429. And then our two uh, bottom ones, key two and key three, are set on our quota. So you can see now that they've hit their 50 um, 50. Uh, uh, calls per day limit, and they're basically not generating any more um, OKs. They're basically, they've, they've capped at their limit. Um, so if you're using uh, usage plans and you have a customer who has uh, hit their quota limit, we actually also offer um, the ability to uh, extend uh, the, the quota for the period that they're in. So we support um, daily, weekly, and monthly quotas, and so you can give a customer an extension for, uh, um, for the given period. So I'm going to go ahead and give key two another 50 requests for today, so we can see that hopefully. And so what I should see, again, once the configuration propagates, um, is, is that key two will start to be able to then, at two requests a second, start to be able to see some OKs again, and eventually we'll hit 100 requests, at which point it will have hit its quota again, and the customer can either request another limit increase or wait for the next period. So again, we're creeping up on 100 requests, and again, our other key has stayed at 50. And once again, we hit 100, and everything's um, back to where it was before. Um, so uh, again, all of those, uh, all of these requests that are KO'd, again, no, no charge whatsoever. So if you have a customer who's, um, that you need to turn off for any reason, you can just simply turn their, uh, their, their quota or their, um, throttling rate to zero, um, and not have to worry about them causing your bill to go up.
Um, so, so now, now Doug's gotten these partnerships. Uh, everything's continuing to grow. Um, he's actually making enough money from Tamper that he's actually able to um, bring on some other people to help work on the application. Um, so he's looking for ways to formalize his update process now that it's not just him that's making the updates to the API, but a number of developers working for him. So now let's talk a little bit about some of the ways that you can manage your API with API Gateway. So the first way is with API stages. Um, so API stages are the way um, for a named uh, link from a deployment of your API uh, to a name. Um, so you can uh, create a deployment uh, that is not associated with a stage and then associate the stage to it. Uh, you can also do quickly do rollbacks this way. Um, and it's a great way for you to do um, for managing API lifecycle. So dev test, um, prod, or alpha, beta, gamma, depending on which terminology you use. Um, it additionally supports parameterized values, uh, so for via stage variables. Uh, so this could be things like your, uh, your beta API hits a beta database, um, so that uses either different credentials or a different uh, RDS database, for instance. Um, you could put that information in your stage variables and then control, um, uh, keep the same code, but just uh, um, but parameterize your actual uh, values uh, inside of the API. Additionally, on the Lambda side, uh, we have support for versioning and aliases. So this is a great way to deploy updates to your Lambda code and then also move the aliases much in the same way that you move um, the stage aliases. Uh, these work really great with stage variables. Um, so you basically set up your stage variables um, to point to a specific alias. And then when you're versioning your Lambda functions, you can just uh, move the, the Lambda function alias uh, from one version to another. Additionally, API Gateway supports uh, custom domains. Um, so this is a great way for you to either um, you know, brand your API uh, as well as offer multiple versions of your API. Uh, so this is one of our recommended methods for versioning. Um, you actually have uh, your API. Uh, so in Doug's case, we have api.tamper.com slash v1 goes to his v1 version of his API. Um, and api.tamper.com slash v2 goes to a different version of his API, which was cloned from the existing API. Uh, additionally, API Gateway supports uh, Swagger import and export. Um, so Swagger is a portable API definition that supports both JSON and YAML. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, you can import and export. So this is a nice way to be able to source control um, your API definition. Um, so you can uh, run code reviews and um, push uh, your API up to API Gateway uh, after it's been reviewed. Uh, additionally, you can also do merge imports. Uh, so if you have um, uh, teams that are working on disparate portions of your API, you can have them work on a subset of the Swagger, uh, Swagger document and only import that portion as a merge, uh, merge import and update that portion. Uh, deployment mechanisms. Uh, so the, this is a evolving space, uh, uh, to put it mildly. Um, so uh, up here, we, uh, I have listed a couple of, um, a few different uh, methods uh, for managing deployments. 
Uh, the first is uh, Chalice, which is a, um, a, a Python micro framework, which actually um, offers a little bit more than just deployment management. It also um, integrates with uh, various uh, Python web service frameworks like Flask um, and includes deployment scripts for managing the uh, lifecycle. Uh, this is actually written by uh, one of our developers on the Python team, um, so it's maintained by AWS. Uh, next, we have serverless, which used to be formerly known as JAWS, um, which is a great, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a great framework, which actually offers um, and started working on cross-platform um, support uh, for serverless architectures, uh, and it supports Node.js, Python, Java, and Scala, um, and it allows you to describe the API resources as well as the API description. And then finally, the um, the the serverless application model, or SAM for short. Um, which was some of you may have seen earlier today, um, which is our uh, extension to CloudFormation um, to basically smooth out some of the edges and allow you to describe more of the resources uh, in your API and not just uh, the API definition. Okay, so uh, hopefully uh, this was useful, uh, and um, I want to send you away with the message that to, to be like Doug, um, so we'd like you to monitor your APIs with CloudWatch metrics and CloudWatch logs. We'd love you to use the throttling and authentication mechanisms to protect your API. We'd love you to use, um, <clears throat> we'd love you to use usage plans to make your APIs available to third parties and make your APIs grow even larger, as well as manage your API with one of, our, um, one of the available uh, tools for deployments and lifecycle management. Um, so that's actually the end of our talk today. Um, unfortunately, actually, I have this up here as uh, visit the booth, but the booth I don't think will be open tomorrow. Um, so if you do have any other questions, I'll be around here uh, for a little while before heading over to replay myself. Um, so I'll be happy to answer questions. If I can't answer your question here, um, feel free to reach out to us via the forums or on Stack Overflow. Uh, AWS engineers actually monitor Stack Overflow tags uh, and answer questions there as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and just as a final note, thank you. Um, do please make sure to complete your evaluation forms. Um, it's extremely useful for me as a presenter, as well as us for a company, to make sure that we're generating content that is useful for you. And with that, thank you very much, and enjoy replay. <laughs>